What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode seven. Bet Parks presents Stick to Hockey Live. Three no start. Good start. Fun start. All of those things. Anthony DeMarco from the fourth period going to join us in just a moment. Uh, but let me tell you about Bet Parks. We've got a lot to talk about today. So I just want to get right to the business today. Uh, Bet Parks, great casino and sportsbook app. It is available. Go get it now. Go get it now. Heed my call <laughs> uh, because it is fantastic. It's easy to use, easy to navigate. Same game parlays, live in game betting, odds boosts, which I'm going to tell you about in a second. Check it out. Get the Bet Parks app. You can bet on all the football, college, and pro, all the baseball playoffs, which has been unbelievable. You can bet, obviously, hockey. And now Hoops is here for uh, the National Basketball Association. So get in on that as well. And for the listeners of Stick to Hockey Live, how about this? We had a boost last week. It was for the Flyers to score four and win the game. That was for the Devils game. They they hit it. It went from plus 210 to plus 250. The boost tonight, already the Flyers are boosted at plus one and a half. It was at 110. It was bo- It's boosted to 150 on the site right now. But just for... Stick to Hockey Live listeners, use the code STICK, S-T-I-K, all caps, STICK, S-T-I-K, all caps, and that'll get you a boost up to plus 250. So you get the Flyers plus one and a half, and use the promo code STICK, all caps, and you get plus 250 odds. That's an extra plus 140 on what it would be. So head over to the Bet Parks app and click on the promotions tab. Scroll all the way to the bottom and click on the promo code tile and use that code STICK, all caps, to receive your boost on the Flyers plus one and a half. And you can either click the Flyers plus one and a half bet or find beautiful graphic on the sports page to take advantage of this offer. Again, STICK, all caps, and you'll get that boost. Flyers plus one and a half tonight in Florida and get it at plus 250. That's fantastic. So download the new Bet Parks app today. You do need to be over 21 and present in Pennsylvania or New Jersey. Gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. If you're not in Pennsylvania or New Jersey, drive there now. Uh, plus 250 on that odds boost for tonight. Also, got to tell you about Conquerville Subaru. Fantastic dealership, and it's all about trust with Conquerville Subaru. They do great work. It's unparalleled, the work they do in the community. They were the first Subaru Nation Love Dealer, Promise Dealer of the Year winner back in 2015. They also have eight years of supporting the Nemours Children's Hospital of Delaware. They've once again adopted 15 classrooms in the Marcus Hook Elementary School, donating $500 so the teachers can pick supplies for their classroom individually. Plus, they keep the donation of thousands of coats to La Comunidad Hispania in Kennett Square. They've done that for over 10 years, and they continue that once again this year. Great stuff. Great work in the community. And now's a great time to visit the beautiful showroom of Route 202 in Glen Mills and check out their certified pre-owned inventory at the dealership or a list of incoming Subaru vehicles. Fantastic dealership, by the way. And it's more than a dealership. Great service department as well. They have an award-winning service department and a free car wash with every visit. Do yourself a favor. Beautiful weekend coming up. Visit ConquervilleSubaru.com today or drive on down to Route 202 in Glen Mills and check out the beautiful Conquerville Subaru showroom. And remember, Conquerville cares. Let's get to him right now. North of the border from the fourthperiod.com. Does great work there. And he joins us on Bet Parks Presents Stick to Hockey Live. It is Anthony DeMarco. What's going on, Ant? Not too much, man. I got to tell you, I wasn't expecting to having this conversation three games into the season, but here we are, eh? Three and zero. It's the first three and zero start for John Tortorella in his career, and, and this is not like this is a coach that's only coached 
you know, four, six seasons in the NHL. He'd been around a long time, coached some really good teams, but this is his first Reno start, and none of us saw that coming. Yeah, and uh, I believe it was uh, Timmy who talked about on the radio yesterday that it's the first Flyers head coach to go 3-0 since Paul Holmgren, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. So that's a hell of a stat considering the coaches that have come in through this town over the last 20, 25 years, you know, and Hitchcock and LaViolette and obviously AV, whether or not you like him or not, he is a very winning coach, but he's made a hell of a first impression towards Haz. Like the way this team has played, obviously – it's not sustainable in a lot of ways. You want to see more of a ter territorial battle victory because they've spent the vast majority of time in their own end. Carter Hart has by far been their best and most consistent player. But the way that they're playing, I think, is better than, let's say, the analytics or the statistics might suggest. Like, it would suggest that they're always caved in and, you know, completely in disarray. But when you watch the games, they're not making stupid mistakes. They're staying very structured. A lot of it is being held to the outside. And I think a lot of the reason why they don't have the puck a lot is kind of by design. It feels that way, that they're kind of focusing on puck management more so as opposed to puck uh, possession. Because, look, Torts has said he's been very transparent in it that this is a team that doesn't have talent. So, when you're a team that lacks that high-end talent and has trouble establishing the offensive zone, you're going to be inherently defending more. And I think for the most part, the Flyers have played very well considering that. Yeah, and, you know, the 3-0 start for a coach, you know, anytime there's a coaching change, it's usually because the team is not very good. So starting out 3-0 is something that's probably a bit of a unicorn because you're taking over a team that changed coaches. So that's number one. But And I agree, you know, I thought in the Vancouver game, they didn't lose the possession battle in that one. Uh, they dominated the game in the first period. There was a little bit of pushback from Vancouver in the second. Yeah, Vancouver went up 2 nothing, But I thought the Flyers territorially in that game, high danger scoring chances and opportunities, they, I think they considerably outplayed Vancouver, who was obviously struggling. Devils I, I won the territorial battle. And obviously last night, you knew against Tampa with the start that they've had and the fact that in their last game, Prior to last night, they got their teeth kicked in by Pittsburgh six to two. They started out three games on the road, went one and two. And you knew you were going to get their A game last night on home ice. You got it. You survived it. And again, two power play goals from Stam Coach, which, which were just unbelievable shots. Hart had no chance on those. But the team, again, didn't just run, they didn't fold. And, you know, the goal that Lawton gets to cut it to two to one is a huge goal. And then to start the third period. So, I mean, they've given up two goals in second period so far this year. I think they're plus four in second periods where they sucked to the high heaven last year in the second period. Like let, let's call it what they stunk in the second period. Then they come out in the third, they get a power play and JVR with a perfect through his legs, redirect ties the game. And then the, the resilience of Noah Cates, who I thought was excellent last night, Double stripping the Tampa players and then turn around going bar down on Vasilevsky is no easy task. Yeah. And like, I just want to talk about Scott Lawton for a second. Like, Scott Lawton to me, the way he's elevated his play, it's just, I never thought he had this level in him. And look, this is not to say that he's going to score like 70, 80 points or whatever. But one thing that I find very indicative as to how well he's played is like, if you look at the expected goals against, 
he leads the team in terms of the lowest with 1.6 per 60. And he spent the lion's share of his minutes at five on five with Konechny and Hayes. Mm-hmm. And Hayes and Konechny, like, I think offensively they've been solid, but, you know, they're not doing very well defensively. You know, Hayes 4.75 expected goals against per 60. Konechny 4.65 expected goals against per 60. And then you have Lawton at 1.6. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah. that... <laughs> yeah, that, that tells me like all I need to know. I also felt that Hayes and Konechny kind of struggled on the on the penalty kill. I know a lot of people just jumped all over Delorier because that's just the easy thing to do. But even the statistics would back up that it was Hayes and Konechny who kind of struggled in that regard. But you look at some of the positives here. Obviously, Lawton, I think JVR has quietly been very, very good or as relatively speaking, of course, I think he's been solid. I think Morgan Frost has really settled in nice. Uh, Noah Cates, I really liked his game. I thought that the first two games, and of course he was adapting to a new position down the middle. I wanted to see a bit more from him. And I still do think that ultimately he is best served on the wing because you he can't really have that straight line four check that we saw when he is playing center. But I mean, it's just crazy to think that like this point in the season, they're 3-0 and because I knew that they were going to compete hard. We knew they were going to be more structured. But actually getting the tangible victories was not something I'd expect at this point. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I thought Cates, while he wasn't, uh, you know, I, I didn't think he was bad in the first two games. I didn't see him do as much good as I did last night. Even before the goal last night, I just thought he was really good in the game and against some really, really tough lines. There was a couple moments in last night's game. You know, the Flyers were on a power play and Tampa killed it off. And then the next shift, I think it was in the first period, I want to say, still a scoreless game. Then the next shift, McEwen was out with Wade Allison and I want to say Tanner Lazinski. And they spent the entire shift against the Stamkos line in the in the Tampa zone, had a couple of scoring chances, just in on the four check. So let's kind of take it zone by zone. Let's start with the offensive zone and the four check because you know you're seeing elements of a four check that is being executed properly because it's forcing turnovers it's forcing second chance opportunities in the offensive zone and even though they didn't end up with a ton of shots last night that when they got in on the four check I thought that they handled it pretty well well I'm glad you bring up Allison because I think he's been their best four checker so far this season you know already has one goal in the season and I've even liked his transition play like the way he carries the puck up ice has been very very nice to see because I didn't really think he could ever be kind of like a transporter of the puck and I think that they have been missing that since they moved on from Voracek a year and a half ago but I mean the way that Wade Allison has played and even the numbers would support this as well was really suggested how strong he's been on the forecheck. There are some guys that obviously you want to see a bit more out of offensively. Like, I mean, you have a, a Joel Farabee, who I think has been okay, but clearly he's working his way back from injury. The Konechny Hayes Lawton line has been very good on, on the forecheck as well. And even a guy like Zach McEwen, I think he had his hiccups last night, but I do think to this point he has been the best out of, you know, like him, Hodgson, and Lixell. I found Lixell very, really struggled against Vancouver, probably miscast in that fourth line role. And, you know, you also have to remember here is like they're down, and let's not even count Bobby Brink and Patrick Brown here because, you know, we could argue that they're fringe NHLers, but. Just Couturier, Tippett, and Konechny, they're down three NHL forwards. So they're basically on to like their 16th uh, forward down the pecking order here. And you could make the case even more if you want to count Brown and Brink. So, 
I mean, all things considered, I think that their forecheck has been, I guess, impressive, relatively speaking, given the fact that they're missing so many NHL regulars. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I think it's really important for this team to be able to create those sustained zone times. So let's go to the neutral zone. You know, this is an area, I didn't think they were as good in the neutral zone last night because there's a lot of skill on that side. But I I look at it and I go, okay, that's a team, you know, that can really flow through the neutral zone. And the Flyers just seem to be kind of defending the line a lot better. You know what I mean? Well, I think that what it is is that they're stepping up, and I believe like Charlie O'Connor had mentioned it, they mentioned it on the broadcast, is that they're staying on top of the puck. They're not waiting for the the Tampa Bay Lightning to just come in and set up. Like they're actually pressuring these teams into making plays. Like, let's say like they've lost the territorial battle, specifically last night. Like last night was like of all the three games, the one they really, really spent the most time in the D zone. But they're still moving around enough and pressuring the puck enough that is forcing the other team to work hard. Like there were some times where Tampa got to the middle for sure. But what I've liked about it is that they're the compete is there and they're forcing teams to make decisions, even to gain the, the neutral, uh, the offensive zone or the flyers defensive zone. And I thought last year, especially when we kind of had the, def- the, the change from AV to yo and yo kind of opened it up a bit. I found that the Flyers were just kind of Swiss cheese through the neutral zone and offensive zone entries were way too easy for the other team. Or even with AV, I found AV tried to overcompensate for the lack of, you know, strength on the back end and they wouldn't forecheck enough. So, I mean, I think Tortorella has done a really good job here into just making it tough on teams to establish the, the offensive zone. And then even when you're in the offensive zone, I think that the Flyers have done a good job of collapsing in the slot and just forcing teams into being more creative to get that puck into like that home plate area, as we talk about a lot. Yeah. Um, Joey B, I, I blocked your comments by accident because we were getting spammed by some porn site, apparently. Um, nice. <laughs> <laughs> I was like clicking to, to block that stuff, but uh, <laughs> it's Joey, I didn't mean to block you on the comments, but so hopefully I'll be able to get you back. But anyway, um, the D zone and the structure is certainly better. Yeah, they gave up a lot of shots. They actually took a shot away last night. Did you know that? It was 39. <laughs> Carter had Carter Hart 37 saves, and they took one away, apparently, overnight. And it was 38 shots, but 36 saves. And he's got an unbelievable record. He's a high-volume goalie, right? Like, he's a guy that, you know, when he gets a lot of shots, he, could, he makes a lot of good saves. When he is faced over... 36 when he makes 36 or more saves he's got a record of 15 2 and 2 <laughs> jesus that's crazy right and you know i well he's just been he's been spectacular right his save percentage is what like 943 to this juncture yeah not and bad. and his mental fortitude especially in the first two games to back to bounce back from let's say poor goals to open up those contests against the the, the devils and the canucks respectively but, like, if you just look at the defensemen, and let's talk about them for a second. Like, I think the 6D have all done a pretty good job. I thought Provorov struggled the first two periods of last game. but Or, yeah, last night. Then he settled down in the, uh, in the third period. But I really like what I've seen from the defense. And, look, obviously they've been deployed favorably. 
but I really like what I've seen from Igor Zamula and Nick Sealer, right? And Nick Sealer came in with like absolutely no expectations. Many people didn't even want to see him, you know, get into the into the uh, regular rotation here. And look, obviously they've played a lot less than specifically the top three guys in Sanheim, Provorov, and D'Angelo. But I think that the way that those two guys have played on the bottom pair has been spectacular. Zamula last night specifically defending the rush, his gap control was perfect. He broke up a play that led to the Flyers' third goal, I believe, or the second goal. Mm -hmm. I forget which one it was. And, you know, you look at Nick Sealer and obviously a small sample size and he's getting like the arguably like the least or the easiest deployment, you know, he has the only positive expected goals for percentage. He has the best Corsi percentage on the team. And then you look at D'Angelo and Provorov and what do you know, they've yet to be on the ice for a five on five goal again so far this season. And I think that you've seen kind of Tortorella in the first game, he was giving Sanheim and Braun more of that tough deployment D zone starts. It's kind of started to swing more into Provorov and D'Angelo. And look, Obviously, it's going to come with some growing pains. Like I said, I didn't think Provorov was good for the first 40 minutes last night. But when you're defending as much as the Flyers have been, I think they've done pretty good, all things considering. Yeah, I mean, D'Angelo, I mean, he's got a point in every game now, Ant. He's made a big difference on the power play. It's and, incredible. I mean, when, when you look at the power play, to me, um, it, there looks like there's a lot of variance to it. I've always said this in team sport, predictability is advantage defense. Unpredictability is the advantage offense and versatility and variance. And you see a lot of variance on that though. They're not just working off the left side half wall like they did under Drew for so long. They became so dependent on him to facilitate, you know, D'Angelo equally moves the puck to the right side where Hayes is or moves the puck to the left side, whether it's Farabee there or, you know, connect on that left side and they're creating a lot of variance in it, which is creating a lot of different kinds of opportunities, power play in, power play out. They have a power play goal in every game. And let's not forget that last year, they had the worst power play in the league and clicked at 12.7%. So it's been a huge upgrade. And a big, I think a, the biggest element of that is strategic. And it's also you know, the addition of Tony D'Angelo. D'Angelo has been just fantastic on all ends of the ice. And, yeah, you know, he's kind of becoming their number one in a lot of ways. Like, I think it's kind of like a 1A, 1B situation with him and Provorov. But the way he moves the puck up the ice, his quick decision with the with with the puck, uh, his deceptiveness, the way he gains the zone on the power play, like the way that he kind of just fools, team, uh, fools teams in that quarterback position. Like, this guy has just done it all. He's eaten the, the most minutes in the last two games. I didn't check the first game. But it's specifically against the Canucks, he played over 27 minutes. He had a goal and an assist in that game or just a goal on the power play. For, I know he has a goal and three assists through the first three games. But I do agree that, you know, you go back to the initial power play setup that Peter Laviolette established in 2011-2012, where you had Voracek on one half wall and you had Giroux on the other at their half wall. And especially once Braden Shen left, who, you know, inherited that position from Scott Hartnell, you knew that the Flyers were always going to try and get the one-timer to Giroux or Voracek. Not so much Voracek, you try and like slide it a pass through the slot. But there were times where you would watch that power play over years, and it would just be Giroux and Voracek lobbing the puck across the slot to one another. And especially when you had Goss's beer kind of fall off, or aside from that one year when Provorov was you know producing on the power play, it was very, very predictable. 
And, you know, especially last year when you had so many injuries and, you know, everything was out of whack and you had three guys coach the power play over the course of the entire season, it was just a disaster. They finished with, what, 12% or whatever? And now you get this team that you get one of the better offensive defensemen in the NHL. I think we can, you know, say that reasonably. And you're trying new things. You have more deceptiveness on this power play. I, I do think that there will come a time that you'll have to get a better option there, specifically in the in the Ruru spot. I know they wanted Tippett to be there. Maybe Atkinson could get that look. So they're not fully healthy, but it's just... And this goes with everything on the team. It's just nice to see something new here. And that, I think, is the biggest part that has made this enjoyable for this season is that everything is new and there's no foregone conclusions because we're seeing things we've never seen before. Yeah, I mean, it's just I I feel like I I was talking to somebody during the Vancouver game and I said it just feels like a, a huge page has been turned organizationally. And I'm not saying that this year is going to end up in the playoffs. This is only three games. There's 79 to go. It's a good start. And if you can enjoy this, if you can enjoy this, then I don't know why you even get involved in watching sports. You know, there wasn't expectations there. I'm not changing my expectations for this season based on this 3-0 start. But, you know, there's people out there saying, hey, the whole objective of this season was to lose, and they can't even do that right. Like, to me, and the objection in sports is never to lose. And if you have that mentality like, hey, they're objective. And, you know, if you have that mentality, then here's, here's my deal. You're a fucking loser. And you don't know how sports work. Because if your objective is to go out there to lose and you want to put players out there to lose, then, like, what are you doing? Like, that's a bigger infection than anything. Yeah, no, I agree. And I, I, I wish I could remember who said this. It may have been Frank Saravalli on his podcast. And by the way, great show having Frank on on Monday. I, and I think it was him. And if it's not him, I apologize whoever said it. But you never want to get players used to losing. You yeah, never want infection. to. And I think that's what was the biggest problem in the Ron Hextall era is that it just became so commonplace to lose. And you had guys like Provorov and Sanheim and Konechny and maybe even Farabee to a lesser extent because he came in later, Mm -hmm. kind of come into a culture where losing was regular. And you had guys like Giroux and Voracek and maybe even Katori to an extent. I don't really put Simmons into that category. But you had these guys that at one time were a very good core group of forwards who were dragging this otherwise very bad team into like a playoff bubble spot, kind of just get to a point, and I believe in 1819 got to a point where they're just like, eh, if we lose, who cares? The management doesn't care. And now we've seen, we've gone to a point where we've kind of attached that kind of mantra to guys like Provorov and Travis Konechny. And you do not want that type of mentality to seep through to a Wade Allison, to a Igor Zamula, to a Tanner Lazinski, a Noah Cates, even Joel Farabee, Morgan Frost. Like those guys, I think, may have been saved from the really worst of it. And look, would it be nice if they got a Connor Batard or a Michkov or a Fantilli? Of course. But yeah. you don't want to sacrifice the team culture and the players playing in order to do that, because again, like we've said, like 
tanking is a very tough thing to execute properly because there are points where it's not even going to work. Like, look, I did a piece on the on the Coyotes last last week, and I interviewed their GM Bill Armstrong, and he said that yeah, like without saying it, we know that the Coyotes are trying to tank. But they're also trying to instill a winning culture because they still do have younger players on that team, like Clayton Keller, Barrett Hayton, JJ um, uh, Moser. Like, yes, you do want to get a good pick in a year like this, but trying to, you know, overtly lose games, especially when you have a lot of young players on your team like the Flyers do. Like, let's say if you're the Chicago Blackhawks where you just have a bunch of veterans and you got rid of the good young players like Doc and Debrinkit, then okay, different story. But for a team like the Flyers that has a lot of young guys on this team that could be good players for a while, you do not want that using culture to infect the entire room. Yeah, it to me, it's a stink that ends up on a team. And you're right, it, it comes down to a, there becomes a lack of accountability to result. And I mean, I, I just think as long as they plug in a scoreboard and you got to be out there trying to win, I, I get it. Like front offices will field a team that's not in position to be a contender. I understand that there's, there's an arc to a team's development, but you know, like to see some of these tweets out there saying like, okay, they have a roster that's not, chock full of high-end talent and your assumption is is that they are going to lose but the notion that they should go out there and find a way to lose games tells me that you've never played a sport because the the players no matter what level of player they are are never going to go out and desire the result of not winning so that you can draft at the top of the lottery it's just not going to happen and like it, frankly, it fucking pisses me off when I see like pseudo media guys tweeting that out. And and I'll I'll like I have no problem kicking this dude all the time because I think some of his tweets are fucking stupid. Rush Joy from Crossing Broad. Like I don't give a fuck anymore. Like he put out the t- like I'll read his tweet, Ant. Like like dude, go do something else. The Flyers are three and zero in a season where the objective was to lose. Can't make this up. Kind of knew the torch training kit would have them better conditioned than the opposition, but the young guys are really stepping up. Like, what do you want them to do, dude? I don't. Like, I'm gonna have think... San Filippo on on Friday, and I'm gonna ask him about it too. Uh, but you know, like, I don't mind kicking Russ, and like, he's a good dude and everything. But I see that tweet from Russ, and I go, like, what the fuck, man? Like, what is that? Like, why are you putting that out? You know what I mean? I, I think that it, I don't give a fuck anymore. I couldn't tell, honestly, <laughs> Jay. But to be honest, I, I do like, look, I can't speak to people who kind of think like that, but I do think it's kind of like a gimmick for a lot of people to be like, okay, I'm just going to drive home this narrative until, you know, the cows come home. And to say that their objective was to lose, it wasn't like, their objective How this can you season, say that like with a straight face say that like i mean th- the thing is is that like they didn't come out and say it you know not like teams are going to come out and announce that they're you know trying to lose but it's not hard to figure it out like chicago and arizona they didn't sell off younger pieces like konechny and provorov like those teams have done like doc and to they came in this season with two objectives 
one to change the culture and set the standard. Obviously that's their buzzword right now. And two, to figure out what they have with a lot of these guys and not only the, the Allison's and the Frost's and the Kate's and the Zamula's and all that, but with the guys like Sanheim and Provorov and Konechny, that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to figure out what they have to work with moving forward. I don't like, look, I get it. I understand if you want the generational talent, me too. Like I would love nothing more than the Flyers to have Connor Bedard or Fantilli to start next season, but I cannot actually cheer for a team to lose. I I can't do it. Like, look, I'll take you back to 2015, 16, the first year of the Dave Haxtell, the Dave Haxtell campaign here, Ron Haxtell second year. That year, they were not supposed to make the playoffs. They were not supposed to be good. The year before, I think they had traded... No, that was two years before they traded Scott Hartnell. But anyway, they weren't supposed to be good. And in March, they went on one of the most exciting stretches of play I remember. And I believe they it was like 19-3-2. Mason was playing out of his mind. It was Ghost. so much... Ghost was on that heater, right? Yeah, Ghost was on the heater. It was his rookie year. You had Simmons still playing at a high level. It was just, it was great. It was so much fun to watch. And look, in retrospect, would it have been better for them to tank and maybe be in the lottery for an Austin Matthews or Patrick Liney or Pierre-Luc Dubois, who went one, two, three that year? Of course. But in that moment, you could not have told me, who, who was more of a fan at that time than what I'm doing now. I wasn't even with the fourth period back then or you, or anyone who followed this team as media or fan, that, yeah, you know what, we're just going to suck because we want to be into that lottery. It's At the end of the day, it's entertainment. That's what sports are. And there's nothing entertaining about trying to lose. And for a, you know, a spectator position, it's there's no real good that comes out of it in the immediate term. Yes, if you get a Connor Bedard, 100%, it's worth it. I'm not even saying that I'm against it, but it's just tough to cheer for a team to lose and fault a team to lose. Like, if anything, yeah, you the problem. That's the problem I have. Well, it's like what do you like? You said, what do you want? You're you're you want Tortorella to coach them to be bad. You wanted to bring in an inferior coach so they would get worse results. Oh, so are you willingly sacrificing guys like Wade Allison and Tanner Lazinski because that's what you would effectively be doing mm-hmm. if you were? Let's say you brought in like. Who was a bad coach that was on the market? Like, I don't know, like uh, Jack Capuano, let's say. Yeah. You bring Travis, in Jack Capuano yeah. or, or whoever, Travis Green. You're basically telling guys like Noah Cates, Igor Zamula, Allison, Farabee, Frost, who aren't exactly super young. A lot of these guys are 24, 25. You're basically telling them like, you know what? We don't give a fuck about you. We're looking for players who aren't even here yet. And I just don't think that's yeah. the right message to send. Yeah. I just think, I, I just think it's bad. I think that's just such a bad approach. It's just so bad. Especially <laughs> when we've come, ac- we came out of an era with Hextel and hack where that was kind of the mentality. Yeah. And the thing is, is this too, like, you know, do I want Connor Bedard? Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, if that's where this leads to Connor Bedard, I'll go, okay, I'll sacrifice. Like, I'm good. I'm fine. That's fine. But when the team starts 3-0, and again, I'm not suggesting that this team, you know, people should change their expectations. I know some people are. I've gotten some DMs from people saying, hey, that this team's probably a playoff team. But 
No. I'm not even close to there yet. This is three games. Um, and, and the other thing, I don't think that they're winning these games because they're better conditioned. Because uh, I don't think that the conditioning level was put to where Torts wanted it to. I talked to Torts before one of the preseason games, and he said, I changed my approach of what I had planned from a conditioning standpoint because I had too many guys nick up. I couldn't, I couldn't do what I wanted to do. I think guys came in in good shape. I think that they're playing with a purpose. I think they're playing with a little, hey, like, fuck you attitude. Like, hey, you all didn't, you know, nobody thought we were going to be any good. So we're kind of catching on to a little bit of belief here and we're not giving up. And maybe not all teams are playing with the same intensity level with and purpose. That's maybe why. I don't know. But, you know, look, if you're going to have a season where you're probably going to lose more than you're going to win, and I'm still prepared to, I'm still mentally prepared for that then I'm not going to sit there and shit on three wins to start a season. Like I have to find enjoyment in something. I can't find, I, I can't complain and be lack of joy when they lose and then be pissed off when they win. Like, like I you can't, can't talk about both like sides that. of your mouth. Yeah. I can't exist like that. Like what's the point of waking up and picking my head up off the pillow in the morning? I might as well just go to the Walt Whitman Bridge and chuck myself off it if that's <laughs> well, the way I'm going to approach things. Well, look, like let's look at the 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 Blackhawks. You have Athanasayu, Max Domi, Tyler Johnson, Sam Lafferty, Colin Blackwell, Yujar, Jujar, I'm sorry if I'm butchering the pronunciation, Kyra. Uh, yeah, uh, Colin Blackwell, Jason Dickinson, Jack Johnson's playing top pair. Jared Tenorti's in the top four. Yeah, they They're also goalies- three cups, though. Exactly. You know I mean? Yeah. So they I mean, have Staylock in net, Mirazik in net. Like, look, if that's a team that's winning, mm-hmm. then I understand why you're pissed because none of those guys are going to be impact players when you're ready to contend. I could understand that if, let's say, someone tweeted something like Russ Joy, you know, in Chicago, because th- let's say Chicago was winning like the Flyers were, but that's not the case here. You have a lot of guys on this roster who are probably part of the long-term plan in Allison, in Lazinski, like Kate, Farabee, Frost. Maybe connect Neeprovaroff, you know. Sandheim for sure. They just committed eight years to him. Igor Zamula, your goaltender, Carter Hart. Like, the thing is, is that I agree that they're not really in a full scorched earth rebuild, but they're not contending. They're kind of like in a hybrid mode. But because of that, and if you disagree with the mode that they're in, then more power to you. But in the context of reality, you can't cheer for them to lose because there's just too many players here that are worth a shit. Like, how many guys can you look at the Flyers roster right now and actually say, like, they have no future with this team? Like, well, you know, this part too, Ant, is when the team has the results that it's had the last two years. Right. The notion is, is that everybody sucks. We have nothing. And I get it. I understand why, because it, they've been horrible the last two years. And you look at it and you go, there's nothing worth a shit here at all. Right. But I mean, Provorov is a well thought of player around the league. Konechny still, he, he's got to get back. Yes. And he's got to be consistent this year and get back to that arc that he was. But this notion that these are the worst players in the collection of worst players in the league is just not the case. They they were injured. They stunk. They weren't good. 
the coach didn't work. There was all these elements that went into having a season where they ended up with 60, what, 61 points last year. It was very bad. Yeah, it was bad. But it doesn't mean that everything is horrific. As a team, they weren't good. And then they and as a team, they weren't good with the injuries as well. But this, I, I don't know. I, I just, again, I, I don't know how you can kind of shit on a 3-0 start. And again, I don't think it means anything long term. I really don't. I'm no. not even close to there yet. But I mean, if you're somebody that follows the team or covers the team or cheers for the team or invests in the team emotionally, financially and all those things, and you're mad that they started out three and zero, then maybe go pick up a different sport. Uh, I uh, that's why I do think that they're is an element to let's say, I'm not saying this is Russ specifically, but for people who speak like that, a lot of the time there is an element to just kind of playing to a gimmick because look at my, my co-host. Well, well, look at my co-host Dan on brotherly pod. There is no one that can be more negative than him. His nickname, an emotional, emotional (laughs) negative, like one of the funniest guys to work with when he has his breakdowns. It's hilarious, but he's also someone that when stuff goes well, he can acknowledge it. And, you know, he's tweeted out just like, you know, far be it from me to be positive, but I'm really enjoying what I'm watching. Yeah. And I think that you can be emotional in the moment. I've been emotional in the moment. You could analyze what's going on, but you have to be objective along the way and you got to be consistent. If your objective here is to, let's say, to just constantly find the negatives, then you're kind of playing to a gimmick. But if you wanted to be negative over the offseason because you thought this team was going to be the worst club since 06, 07, but then are kind of saying like, oh, it's not as bad as we're, you know, we may have thought, then I know that what you're saying actually means something and holds water. But it's when people kind of talk out both sides of their mouth that I kind of start to discredit it because it becomes disingenuous. Exactly, because it's a gimmick. And look, if you want, I've had people tell me like, look, it's enjoyable to watch, but I still would have preferred had they cut ties with Provorov and Konechny and gone further into a rebuild. Mm -hmm. I disagree, but I don't mind that because it comes off as a genuine opinion. You just disagree with the philosophy. But to bitch about a team not being good and then to bitch about a team for for not losing on purpose simultaneously there's just a clear sign of disingenuous. Yeah. And, and to me, that's if, if you're somebody that covers a team and like hot takes to me are disingenuous. Like I've, I've murdered guys like Elliot Shore parks or Joe Giglio on WIP because they're, they're full of hot takes. And I think it's disingenuous. And I think it, to me, it's just giving the, the people that read you, listen to you, whatever, it's giving them the finger. It's because it, it's it's fraudulent, but and, and I've killed those guys for it. So, and you know when when you turn fifty, you just don't care anymore. So, you know, so like, like it's I'm so happy I turned fifty. I've mean, got the fifty number one, but I just don't care anymore. And I just I don't, I don't have any time for the hot takes. I'm gonna mute Ross for a little while. I know he's gonna have a retort. I whatever. I, yeah, Ross, I work for the team. I know. <laughs> you know what I mean? You can call it propaganda. I know. I'm no fool. <laughs> I, I've never hid the fact that I work for the team. 
I'm not a reporter. Any of that shit. And, and this is the thing is that we know that, well, we don't know, but we're both expecting that eventually they're going to come down to earth. They're probably not going to finish with a winning record. They're probably not going to be in a playoff hunt. There's going to be plenty like, of time for misery. Yeah. So you're going to get your wish, but I'm curious to see if when this team starts losing, if we're then going to switch to being mad that they're losing, like, look, I'll like, I will critique them when they're losing, like even in their winning, like I did a hit with TSN Montreal this, uh, this morning. And they asked me about the flyers. I said, look, if you go by the numbers and you go by the eye test, it's probably not a sustainable way to win, but I still have to give them credit where credit is due, whether that be because of their goaltending, whether that be because they're opportunistic, whether that be because Tony D'Angelo has really given them a kick in the ass. There have been positives here, but you can simultaneously acknowledge the positives while acknowledging that it's probably not going to last forever. Well said. Let's wrap up on this. Anthony DeGrazio at DeGrazio on Twitter. And gets caught up in... And he's an emotional guy, good hockey man, right? Played played the game, played it at a high level. He has this string of tweets. Let me read this because I think it's really well stated. He said, he tweeted it at 105, so 10 minutes ago. He said, whether it's bottom dweller, middle of the pack, or playoff team, I just want to watch enjoyable hockey that has a future. A team playing as a unit signals a lot of things. Players are playing their roles, for example, TK on the penalty kill and D'Angelo on the first power play. This team is buying in, which also means that they know they are going to be held accountable for their play. Still going to be a long season, but I'm already seeing progress. Hopefully, it can continue. I think that is a very good string of tweets. It's it's, it's how I kind of feel about it as well. And Enjoy the ride. Enjoy the ride. Thank you. All right, and great stuff. I don't know what the hell that was. Something just fell in my garage. Someone's breaking in, man. You better go check that out. Russ, get out of here. <laughs> uh, Russ, I, I, I give you shit because I love you, but I'm going to mute you for a little while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, great stuff, Ant. Uh, we'll talk next week, brother. Read Ant's stuff on thefourthperiod.com. Give him a follow on Twitter at adamarco25. And That's uh, it. Talk next week, brother. Thanks, man. Take it easy. There he is, Anthony DeMarco on Bet Parks Presents Stick to Hockey Live. <laughs> oh, shit. I don't know. These are live shows. We just kind of go and have a conversation. It's a little bit of a just an event session sometimes. I mean, teams 3 0. I don't know if they're going to go 4 0 tonight. How about last night, though? Tampa was minus 300 last night. Minus 300. Flyers go down 2 nothing. I probably was up to like 850, minus 850, plus you know, 900 for the Flyers when they're down 2-0, and then they battle back and they win. Smash it. It's unbelievable. Um, get on the Bet Parks app because how about this? Here's the deal. This is a good deal. You can uh, use the odds boost, the weekly stick to hockey live odds boost. And tonight, Flyers plus one and a half. It's boosted. Uh, it's It was 110, Flyers plus one and a half. It's already boosted to plus 150 on the site. But if you use the promo code STICK, S-T-I-K, all caps, that'll boost that up to plus 250. So head over to the Bet Parks app and click on the promotions tab. Scroll uh, to the bottom and click on the promo code tile and use that code STICK, all caps, and get that, again, plus one and a half, 
to plus 250. Download the app, check it out. Best casino and sportsbook app you're going to find. And all, all Bet Parks users are going to love the experience. Same game parlays, live in game betting, odds boost, uh, player performances. It's all there on football, on hoops, which has started now uh, in the pro hoops. You've got obviously baseball playoffs, hockey. It's all there for you. Download the Bet Parks app today. You do need to be over 21 and present in Pennsylvania or New Jersey. Gambling problem, call 1 800 Gambler. And also check out. Uh, the great people at Conquerville Subaru on Route 202 North and Glen Mills. It's a fantastic place to check out. Great, great dealership, beautiful dealership. And you can check out their pre-owned inventory or pick from a list of incoming Subaru vehicles. They're still doing great work in the community, whether that's uh, with the Nemours Children's Hospital of Delaware, La Comunidad Hispania in Kennett Square, donating coats, uh, Marcus Hook Elementary School, donating classroom supplies, all there for you. They were the first Subaru Nation Love Promise dealer of the uh, nation winner back in 2015. And it's more than dealership. Great service department where you get a free car wash with every visit. Uh, so visit ConquervilleSubaru.com online. Check out their inventory. Visit the showroom on Route 202 in Glen Mills. And remember, Conquerville cares. We'll be back Friday with Anthony Sanfilippo and another brand new edition of Bet Parks Presents Stick to Hockey Live. Everybody enjoy the game tonight. We'll talk to you Friday right here.